Ads and banners aren't wrong. They're there to interrupt you and to get your attention. And Seth Godin has a, had a fantastic book that talked about the stages of attention engagement called Permission Marketing many, many years ago. And yeah. it's still equally valid today. So you need to interrupt someone and grab their attention when you're competing with others. But once they get to your website or your landing page, it should be a bullshit-free zone where you can just focus on their needs. So it needs to have this Zen-like stillness to it, not a, a, a bazaar full of competing ideas and images and interruptions. So I think that the transition from acquisition or getting someone to your site to conversion and getting them to act once they're there, that part is mishandled. We continue the same kind of loud approach on our websites. We confuse people, we distract them, we overwhelm them with visual inputs. And um, so I think it's uh, the acquisition people have too much influence on the user experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the CVO Live. It's my pleasure and honor and joy to reconnect with uh, Tim Ash. He's, uh, uh, I have a very close relationship with uh, Tim, and he he actually fixed my brain in some senses. Uh, we, we know each other for some years, and uh, basically he's one of the uh, most impactful authorities in the conversion rate optimization space and he's also an authority in the evolutionary psychology and digital marketing connecting both of the worlds but Tim uh, why don't you give uh, us all your uh, official uh, intro uh, absolutely it's, it's great to be with you Valentin um, so to give you some background some of you may know me from the digital marketing world I literally wrote a couple of best-selling books on landing page optimization and ran an agency called Site Tuners for many years. Uh, uh, we created over 1.2 billion in value for the Facebooks, Google, Siemens, Expedias of the world. Uh, and then I also started the Conversion Conference, which is, I'm proud to say, going on its 11th year and uh, in Europe as well as in the United States. And it's going to be in uh, about a week here in in Las Vegas for the US edition, but we also have the London and UK shows. I'm no longer involved in all of that these days. My focus is on public speaking and marketing consulting with executives and also my uh, latest book about evolutionary psychology, which we'll probably touch on. Yeah, for, for sure, we will touch on this uh, subject, Tim. So, uh, Tim, you, you've been seeing so much of this uh, of this boat of worlds, right? You've been working with so with large companies, with uh, mid-level companies. You've been seeing uh, a lot of uh, companies coming, going. Tell us, uh, how do you see the optimization space in retrospective? You know, do do you think the market is where we should have been already? Do you mm. think the market is evolving? Do you think that overall? We are making progress as a species, as a, <laughs> as a subspecies of the digital optimizers or, or not. Uh, oh, well, let me put it this way. I think um, if I can reconstruct it by doing the archaeology. So first it was like, pulled up a website. It's your online brochure. Okay, this is back in 1995 when I started working with the internet. So people were using old media to describe the new media. And then people started building websites, but 
there were it was on the mechanics of building them and not on the user experience. So I started at UC San Diego with user experience. Um, Don Norman was one of my teachers. We literally used the user-centered design book as our textbook. And I believe that even over the last 30, 40 years, um, user experience is still very much underappreciated in web marketing. Um, in other words, the focus shouldn't be on your company, on its goals, on what you're selling. It should be on how to align with the needs of your online visitors. So I think that part is still a big, big problem in uh, web marketing. Uh, and uh, these days, I think uh, to add to that, you're seeing a fragmentation. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis on mobile, which puts a lot more constraints on designing effective experiences. There's voice now. Uh, artificial intelligence and chatbots are starting to make inroads as well. So a lot of shifting. Uh, but I think that the problem, the big problem to me in, in retrospect, as you put it, is that a lot of people are focusing on the technologies and they certainly change quickly and not enough about the fundamentals of marketing, which is understanding and influencing people's behavior. Yeah, I uh, I think that's uh, that that's the overall problem with the, what we do in marketing, and that's uh, I, I I don't want to venture towards giving uh, giving reasons why and what's causing that. But uh, from from your perspective, why why do you think we we have this uh, I don't know gap? towards understanding what's all about, what we do, why we do these things, and uh, why we are still broadcasting and putting, uh, I don't know, uh, ads, banners in front of, uh, of people. Well, by the way, ads and banners aren't wrong. They're there to interrupt you and to get your attention. And Seth Godin has a, had a fantastic book that talked about the stages of attention and engagement called Permission Marketing many, many years ago. And yeah. it's still equally valid today. So you need to interrupt someone and grab their attention when you're competing with others. But once they get to your website or your landing page, it should be a bullshit-free zone where you can just focus on their needs. So it needs to have this Zen-like stillness to it, not a, a, a bazaar full of competing ideas and images and interruptions. So I think that the transition from acquisition or getting someone to your site to conversion and getting them to act once they're there, that part is mishandled. We continue the same kind of loud approach on our websites. We, confuse people, we distract them, we overwhelm them with visual inputs. And um, so I think it's uh, the acquisition people have too much influence on the user experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I guess this, uh, this is a, a matter of uh, company behavior. If you think it's uh, true, Tim, we, we all have this inertia you know, as human beings, we have these uh, habits which can be good or bad, uh, but you're the expert here. And I think the companies do it also, right? They have this organizational inertia and they keep on doing what they've done because that's how things worked in the, uh, in the <laughs> Yes. And, and then one other thing, which is that w you hear a lot, especially in internet marketing, about we're data driven. Everything has to be supported by data and there's nothing wrong with data. But, but you need to understand that even being data driven has its own biases. So uh, since we focus on acquisition, 
we spend our money there. So we're measuring return on ad spend and return on investment. It's measurable. So we tend to focus on the measurable stuff instead of the softer psychological stuff, which is where I believe more value can be mined. It's like the old story about the, the drunk guy uh, crawling around under the street lamp and the police officer asks him what he's doing. And he says, well, I'm looking for my car keys. And the police officer says, well, where did you lose them? And the drunk guy points to the dark end of the alley really far away and the policeman says well why are you looking here and the drunk guy says because the light is better <laughs> so it's kind of like that the bias towards data driven everything implies that it's measurable and that in turn makes us focus on where we're spending the money and on what we're measuring yeah i, I want to unpack this thing because uh, <laughs> I, I this is so crucial to to understand and uh, you 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 have so much experience and you are passing so fast over these uh, fundamentals of uh, uh, of business actually and uh, basically what you're saying is that because we can measure things we are tempted to look at the things that we can measure and we can we are ignoring the things that we can't measure or we haven't measured uh, in in the past right Exactly right. So there's a bias towards the measurable. And again, you know, there are great tools, including your own OmniConvert, that will give you very detailed reports, cohort analysis, all of this other stuff. And that's very valuable. But though, measurement is only something that happens after the fact. Measurement is something that happens after you, you do something then you can measure its impact. But there's not enough focus on what to do in the first place. How to, what are broad avenues that allow you to influence other people? What's likely to be effective here? Um, so it's that high-level thinking, not just the tactical operating of the tools that I think is lacking in most companies. Yeah, and uh, 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 what I uh, what I think it's happening over uh, with, with this, uh, let's say, new way of understanding how the brain works. Maybe we will see some progress on this aspect as well, because my wife she's a psychologist. I, I told you so, and uh, she, yeah, she mine said, is a social worker also. So I think uh, uh, another common <laughs> point between us. Yeah, and she she keeps on telling me you 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 look at the progress that we are making in technology, and we have all these devices and whatever but when we look at how the brain works and how we as a species we are evolving not so obvious progress you know if we look in in the past i don't know hundreds or thousands of years it's not like we we overcome all this uh, trauma and all this uh, patterns and why don't why don't you tell us your perspective because you're the you're the expert and authority in this space um, well, I agree with your wife. She sounds like a very wise woman. <laughs> so congratulations on uh, still being married to her. Uh, no, so I think that there's a, you have to understand that our brains and how we make decisions and how we act are, are based on hundreds of millions of years of brain evolution. We share things with some of the oldest life on Earth, basic mechanisms that work. And then at the end of that evolutionary arc, there's things that make us distinctly and bizarrely human but all of that to say is on an evolutionary time scale we're frozen in the past and we weren't really designed to deal with a worldwide society of eight billion people on the planet in these super complex civilizations so we're still using our primitive brains 
that developed on the plains of Africa and in the depths of the ocean, you know, uh, a long, long time ago. And so, of course, it's not going to work in the present environment. And those brains aren't changing. So in a way, your, your wife's right. Life's not going to get any better. We, we're here. We're here for the length of a human life. So we forget things, we forget the lessons of history that came before our time frame. I mean, if I talk to you about World War II, that's not in your living memory or anyone's at this point. And you might as well be talking about ancient Rome or Egypt uh, because that's not something that's in anyone's lived experience. So I believe in some sense we are kind of doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past and um, and all of these things will keep happening. Uh, but if you're going to get any insight into being an effective marketer, being a better human being, you should focus on how the the brain works in the first place, which is where I've shifted my recent emphasis. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's uh, I I totally uh, I'm totally aligned with this. What I what I want to ask you, uh, Tim, now it's something that uh, uh, my my perception about what we do as human beings is that we are all in the game of changing other people's behavior while if we would be changing our internal let's say uh, mechanisms paradigms and uh, behavior we would be in a better position to change other people's behavior now we're in this space of digital marketing and my question for you is how can we produce the change in the customer behavior that we're all seeking for Mm. Well, I think there are two, really two separate things. I think if you again, if you want to be a human being, as you point out, you need to move inward and study yourself and your own behavior. Uh, I'm very humbled by being a parent of two teenagers. <laughs> Nothing will humble you more than being a parent. So if you think you can change other people's behavior, have some kids and that will dissuade you of that notion. So it's hard enough to change our own behavior if you don't fall asleep in life, uh, if you wake up sometimes and try to work on yourself. Um, maybe you'll get some wisdom along the way instead of wasting the lessons. But I think um, if you're going to change the world, you have to start with yourself. Uh, now, if you're going to influence other people in the narrower scope of online marketing, then I say focus on the durable things, the things that don't change, because the technology can make you chase shiny objects. Oh, it's mobile, it's voice, it's uh, virtual reality, it's um, you know NFTs and crypto. You know, there's always something, yeah. but you but you have the attention span of a lit match and you're not really following through on everything. So if you want to have a good career as a marketer, understanding the common operating system that all 8 billion of us on the planet share, I think is a very powerful place to, to build your foundation. And, and, and talking about the, the foundations, Tim, uh, one, one aspect that I keep on seeing, and I want to give you the, the full uh, understanding over how am I seeing the world after all these years, I've been in touch with more than 300 e-commerce leaders. So I've made this uh, analysis over how they see the world, how they see their businesses. I've made these recordings with them, of course, with their approval, because we're in <laughs> Europe and GDPR compliant, right? Of and course. we analyze afterwards their language, you know, and their, their keywords, because we have this technology, which is allowing us to look at the keywords that they are using, right? And we look at different words. And what we see as a recurring theme is the fact that they, they, they are in a position where the, their words uh, are, are more towards 
data and numbers and objectives and KPIs and reaching this, reaching that, campaigns, campaigns, campaigns. Yes. New people are talking about customer research, internal <laughs> motivations, uh, friction, all those, those things are not there. Absolutely. And I think it's backwards and it's a very limited view. We've already talked about the limitation, but uh, I, if you want a good career in marketing, I'll tell you a three-step process to achieve results, the best results possible. It's very simple. Number one, figure out who your audience is. And I don't mean segment, but I mean like narrow, narrow, micro niching. Okay. You should be able to uh, really focus. So the job, especially of e-commerce leaders is to say, no, we won't expand to this. We won't let our brand stretch to that. We won't also try to be everything to all people. You can't be Coca-Cola. You can't be Nike. You can't be McDonald's. Those are international brands that took decades and hundreds of millions of dollars to build. Now, assuming you don't have that kind of time or money, you should yeah. probably be focusing on laser the small niches. So what and the advantage of that is you can't speak to everyone. You say, well, everybody needs our stuff. It's it's cheaper and more efficient and every human being should benefit from that. Well, that's a very conceptual sell, but I'm saying you have to narrow your customer focus to very, very narrow micro niches. And the way to grow your business is to add more micro niches, not to be more generic and generalize your brand. Okay, so step one, define your very tight niche audience. Step two is understand them. And this is where you're talking about customer research or focus groups. But I advocate going out into the field and interacting with your target audience. Talk to them. The stuff, you don't know what you don't know. You, and you also don't understand what their environment or their life or their concerns are like. And the more you understand that, the better you're going to be. And understand not only their environment or their demographics or psychographics, but understand their values. Because ultimately, you're going to be telling them stories. And the moral of those stories in your marketing has to line up with their values. Because I can tell the same story to two different audiences and they'll have a very different reaction. Um, so, for example, I use in my in my book, I can give you an objective story. So the matador is, stands in the middle of the arena, the bull charges him, he sidesteps and he plunges the sword between the bull's shoulder blades, striking its heart and killing it instantly. Okay, now that's an objective story that I just told you, right? We can record that with a video camera. But depending on the audience, it'll have a very different impact. If I told this to someone from Spain who likes bullfighting, then it's about tradition and man versus raw nature and discipline and being an impeccable warrior and all of these positive things, right? If I told it to someone that was from PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, they think this is sanctioned animal torture and murder and people are paying for it to witness it and it should be stopped immediately. So that's why it's important to understand your audience and then to understand their values, because then when you message them, it's going to be much more effective and in alignment with those values. So step three, then, is design products and services and messaging and campaigns that will align with those. The reaction you want from your target audience is, wow, where has this been all my life? This is exactly what I've been looking for. And it's very rare that we have that kind of reaction to our online marketing. So to recap, step one, narrow target audience. Step two, understand their values. 
And step three, design products and services and campaigns to address them. Yeah, I love that theme, and uh, you you you've opened up a new uh, a new avenue for uh, for our conversation right now. How do you foresee, and what do you suggest to companies which are looking to improve future value that they give and they get? from their customers because customer value optimization it's a two-way uh street right so basically you need to give that value first in order to get to extract more value from uh, from from your customers and my my question for you is what do you suggest to this type of companies let's say they have products people are somehow happy about them and they want to improve the purchase frequency they want to improve the customer lifetime value what's what's your suggestion for for those companies well again i think it's who are you selling to should be the first question yeah. and between a company and its audience there's going to be an alignment those two have to come together and you can okay. make certain uh, assumptions about, again about the values of your audience so REI the big uh, re outdoor retailer i don't know if they're they're worldwide but they're you know the camping gear that kind of stuff right so an REI customer in the US is likely to be someone that cares about the environment they probably believe in global warming they want to have a small carbon footprint and literal footprint on the planet and and they enjoy the outdoors i mean you can, you know a lot about those people but even that's probably not narrow enough within that there's the ski community and the hiking community and and they have very different values and beliefs and their own subcultures so again i would say that if if you want to um started as a company to be more effective you have to say realistically what do we stand for what is our purpose what is our mission who can we um, attract with that uh, so if you just say okay i put up an e-commerce store and i have the same selection as amazon of jogging strollers you know because i'm joggingstrollers.com or some specialized niche retailer that's nothing that means nothing okay so if you say we believe in um um you know parents that um that expose their children to the whole wide world kind of an REI message you know and so we believe your children should experience everything you do as an adult and that's why jogging strollers are great and we burn with that desire to have great uh educated curious children that that experience the world more fully even as little kids okay that's a purpose and that can be something that you tie to a certain subset of parents Uh, so start with where is your brand realistically, and don't stretch it beyond that. And figure out who you can attract with from your current position. So what I'm hearing here, Tim, is that from uh, from from where we see the world, it's it's clear ben, because you you have so so many years ahead of uh, us in in this uh, in this space. From where you see the world, how many companies are actually doing this? I mean. For 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 real, do you think they are they actually know what they sell? Because it's, it's that famous saying from Peter Drucker, right? Half half of companies don't know what they are actually selling, even though they are established. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think uh, John Wanamaker, the American retailer, about a hundred years ago, said that he said half of advertising uh, is wasted. I just don't know which half, right, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great quote. Um, so I would say that. Um, 
yeah, and I know we seem to be getting further and further from e-commerce, and I'm certainly glad to talk about the tactics or the strategies of that. But what it comes back to is I think most companies don't have a purpose. And these are deeper things that I've been thinking about lately. Uh, so if your purpose is, you know, we're a sales-driven organization or we're a marketing-driven organization, that's not a purpose. To make yep. money is not a purpose. So if the only reason your company exists is to make money or increase shareholder value, that's not good enough. In order to attract an audience, you have to stand for something, something beyond capitalism. <laughs> and, uh, if, and so I think most companies, even if they have a purpose and there's a few people inside of it that understand the purpose, it's the CEO's job or arguably the CMO's job to make sure everybody knows that purpose and is, is in alignment with it. Where are we going and why are we going there? Yeah, and maybe changing the world is too broad, but uh, wh what is what is the impact we're having on somebody or something? You know, and, yeah. and uh, unless you come up with that, all of the other activities are just going to be mechanical. They're not going to have a life to them. Yeah, I I have a confession to make mm. public and uh, to you, <laughs> most. Uh, it's. Um, uh, I felt last at some point. So Omniconvert is uh, is a nine years old company. We've we've started initially with our purpose to 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 spread the word about A/B testing. We are we were uh, an, uh, a small company from Eastern Europe. We realized that we can do A/B testing and whatever. Then we struggled so much to to make a dent in the universe with what we do, and. Uh, uh, at some point in 2007, I felt completely lost. You know, it, it was like I was paying the bills. I was running for this. I was running for there. And uh, I got into a burnout due to my inability to scale the company. Because at the end of the day, if you are unhappy as an entrepreneur, go in the bathroom, open the the, the door and look in the mirror. You found the, 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 the root cause. The problem. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I was I, I was so you know pissed off on on my on myself, and I got myself into this uh, ten days uh, uh, meditation retreat. So I've spent ten days over there, no phone, no nothing. I mean, and my mind started to make all these scenarios, and and. Uh, after the first three four days, it was uh, it was a mess. I, I I was like a monkey jumping from topic to topic. You know, I got all this. Uh, my I was building scenarios like really horror scenarios, as you can mm. imagine. <laughs> if this happened and why that? And at some moment, I I got myself into a moment after five days of practicing thirteen hours of meditation. I mean, I was. I was pretending it. I don't imagine that you can. You are. I was actually meditating for thirteen years, thirteen hours. I was staying there and looking at myself and my thoughts. And at some moment, I've realized that I'm so free within myself. And I, it's not like I'm struggling. My mind was making up all these all these scenarios. So what I'm getting is that. Unless I've decided that I have a, a real goal, you know, and I re realize that I'm so free that I can do whatever I want. I can stop building this company. I can. It's like I'm free if I'm getting within myself, you know, if I get into that, uh, I don't know, place of uh, freedom where everything is OK and it's not you're not jumping from doing this for doing this, the other. And at that moment, I realized that 
I have to have a purpose. I have to revisit my purpose. Why am I doing this? Because if you don't ask, if you don't answer to this question, like, I don't know, Simon Sinek is so, so uh, known about it, you know, start with the why, but it, it's, it's true, you know, why are you doing this? What's, what's your purpose as an entrepreneur? And ma many entrepreneurs are losing themselves in the game of earning points and making this growth happen, that number, the other number, and, and, and eventually they are trapped within their own dream. And I've been there. I've, I've seen it, uh, seen it on my own skin. Yeah, and I think that explicit purpose is very important for both employees of companies, but especially for entrepreneurs, because your personal mission statement, uh, your, your business is only an expression of that. It's just one aspect of that, but it has to still be in alignment and on mission. So if you say that my purpose is to retire and put my kids through college, that's not really a purpose uh, yeah. to put yourself through all this pain of being an entrepreneur. I've revisited my purpose several times, my mission um, three or four times formally in my life. And if you'd like, I can share my, my mission with you, my yeah. current iteration of it. We yeah, have a yeah. question. We we'll ask it afterwards, but let 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 us know that. Let let me also put you on the solo layout. What's your purpose, team? <laughs> uh, my mission. Uh, this is of my spirit animal, which is the peaceful lion. Is I co-create a world of peace, safety, and love through joyous expression and service. Fantastic. Love it. Uh, and and this is this tells me if I should invest my life force or energy in something. If it's on mission for me, I do it. Like interacting with you, Valentin, is one of those things for me. So I'm happy to be here and create a world of peace, safety, and love on this uh, live through joyous expression and service. Okay. Uh, if it's not on mission, then I don't do it. It's that simple. The answer should be, in the words, I forget who said it, but the answer should be one of two things. Hell yes or no. <laughs> if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Uh, yeah. By the way, it also helps. Uh, I found it helpful as part of my work through the Mankind Project. I also created a shadow mission. And this is what happens when my unconscious drives me. And this is so if I'm not aware of this, this is how I'm going to act in life. And so my shadow mission is tied to my um, my shadow spirit animal, which is not the peaceful lion, it's the raging bear. And my shadow mission is I create a world of disconnection, loneliness, and pain by chasing distractions, acting like a victim, and indulging in self-righteous anger. <laughs> and when I, I find myself doing that, I've, I know I'm facing the wrong direction and I need to turn my face to the mission way. again. <laughs> yeah. we have a question from uh, andrea on linkedin so she says but with the new order work from home freelancing etc how can you convince your employees to actually believe in your purpose the reality is that every company is driven by earning money yeah well so there's there's what i would call consensus reality and unfortunately we live in um, a world where hyper capitalism i'll call it is the default social cultural setting, you know, where we're supposed to all be hustling and pivoting and we're all supposed to be on several Slack channels and bing, ding, ding, notifications are going off. That's when you think about it, that's a pretty insane way to live. Okay. So if you're going to, if your company is going to rely on people that believe something other than that, then you're going to look very hard. So I think this goes to um, the hiring process and HR and larger companies. 
HR, these archetypical energy of that is not supposed to be some check the boxes, make sure there's background checks. HR is supposed to play the archetypical role of the lover. So you're supposed to attract people and care for your employees. But it has to be very specific. It has to be in alignment with, again, your personal mission with uh, the company's mission. So it's it's much more careful screening on the front end. You can't take somebody, as, as you put it, convince them to be otherwise once they join your company and to believe in your purpose. They either do or they don't. Your job is yeah. to raise the flag and to wave it and say, this is our purpose and and make sure that the people that follow you are in alignment with it. It's not about changing them once, they, once they're inside your company. Yeah, it, uh, it, we, last year we had this uh, management uh, retreat. We decided to apply the EOS system, entrepreneurial operating system, mm-hmm. and we 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 realized that after all these years, our main purpose is to drive meaningful change in the organization that we work with within our own organization and around our environment in our society. And it was so relieving to realize that change driving meaningful change is what what moves us because it's a uh, it, it it's something that was in our dna from uh, from from the very beginning and we have this uh we are unsettled and that's why we are crafting this uh, new space around customer value optimization and we are educating uh the world around this this kind of principle because at the end of the day if we are focusing on making in our small pixel you know in the universe this small pixel uh, mm-hmm. it, it make companies more more uh, let's say aware about this kind of relationships uh, if we make them more customer centric and if we help their employees care more about their uh, their customers i think that's uh, that's that's a worthy goal and purpose yes for, for that us. that sounds like a sense of purpose so so to to um, build healthier organizations by aligning them with real heart-centered needs of their audience that sounds great to me i mean think about it in, in e-commerce um we refer to our uh customers as users. I mean, do you know of any other industry that does that? Yeah, I can tell you one. Illegal drug sales. <laughs> drug users. I mean, there's users of something. It's like, what a sick mentality that is. You know, not human beings, not seen in their fullness. You know, so so if you have a company that really open-heartedly cares about their audience and 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 the people that are they're approaching it, instead of trying to focus on their financial results, they're actually going to have better financial results. So absolutely, the direction you're talking about, which is um, create companies that are more focused on their customers and are successful as a result, that sounds like a good business uh, mission statement to me. Yeah. Tim, focusing a bit on these uh, principles of uh, customer lifetime value, we we are advocating, uh, I've been drying my, 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 my mouth for so many years around, hey, don't focus on conversion rate, focus on customer value, because at the end of the day, it's not what you get at the first order. You at the first order, I, I had here uh, two weeks ago. We I had this chat with Jeffrey Eisenberg, and he yeah, might be Jeffrey. That, yeah, and he he said something very beautiful that when a customer buys from you once, 
he's not your customer. He's going to become, he has chances to become a customer because he's not repeating. If he's going to repeat, then you have a customer. At the, at the first, you have a trial, you know, it's, it's, uh, he, he's try he's putting you on trial. So my, my question is, how do you foresee this shift happening? If this shift will happen from, from your perspective towards from acquisition marketing to life cycle, marketing from clicks and uh, CTR and CPAs to actual relationships like the, you know, good old uh, example with the mom and pop uh, shop, which is actually caring about the cost their customers. Yeah, as well. I think it's it's hard to replicate those one-on-one -on -one, um, relationships like you would in real life. So we're, we already have uh, a difficult hill to climb, if you will. But uh, I've always thought of things in terms of customer journeys, and that's really important. And so most uh, sales models are, you know, the traditional sales funnel is ADA which is awareness, interest, desire, and action, right? Um, but there's, a, there's another more extended model, which is they add another letter at the end, ADOS, awareness, interest, desire, action, and then satisfaction. Like you say, that's when you become a customer, actually, once you've transacted and you try their product or service, if you're satisfied with it. So customer experience is the absolute core of of that, um, whether you deliver on all your promises, whether you communicate, how honest you are in that communication, how transparent you are. So what happens after the sale is is just as important if you want a second sale. Uh, that, so I would say a lot of, uh, again, a lot of stuff gets measured on the front end where the money gets spent on acquisition. And the further you go into the customer journey, the less metrics you have. And, and that's unfortunate. I think it's very, very important to um, say, hey, are we keeping you satisfied over time? And yeah. if not just satisfied, but thrilled. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. and I, I think that uh, tools like yours actually do help deeper in that process and, and they're absolutely critical. Uh, so yeah. the, the more front end focused you are, the more blind you are as to the real value of your customers. When I ran uh, my former agency site tuners, we would ask uh, our clients very simple questions. I said, what is the lifetime value of a customer? They couldn't even answer that. So we had to back into it from a bunch of assumptions and averages and historical stuff, but they couldn't tell me the lifetime value. Um, all they knew was the cost per acquisition. And that's really sad. Yeah, because that's short term oriented. And uh, the, the, the problem that we're seeing right now is the customer acquisition costs are going through the roof due to many reasons, cookies. Going pandemic, away, yep. We, we are seeing that many marketers are suddenly realizing that they should be monetizing more from their customers. And what they do is they start to, to, to measure customer acquisition costs. They start to realize that attribution maybe is not such a simple game to play and they can't mm -hmm. rely on all these metrics and they, they end up making this balance between customer lifetime value and customer acquisition costs. The problem that I'm seeing here is that uh, it is it, it, that that Einstein quote, you know, you can't solve a problem at the same level where the problem has been created. So basically, it's not an advertising problem at the end of the day. It's a customer relationship problem. So if yes. you want to 
change things. If you want to influence the, these things, you need to go back to the roots, to the primal brain. So let's talk a bit about the primal brain, uh, Tim. Well, well, well before, before we switch gears, you, you opened up something that I want to address first, which is, you're right, it's a customer relations problem. And, and here's the problem is even how we define it. So there's a cost of sales, right? So it costs me something to market and sell to you and get you the cost per acquisition. And then uh, everything else is gross margin contribution that my company gets to keep. So I'm going to try to minimize the cost of anything that happens after sale. Most companies treat their call center, their customer service call center, not their sales call center, but their customer service call center as a cost. Your customer service call center is not a cost. It's something that builds loyalty and repeat sales and satisfaction. And it turns potentially bad things into good things. It turns an unhappy customer into a fan and says, wow, look, they went out of their way and they did this for me. I never expected that. So a lot of the delightful experiences that can happen in an interaction with your products or services are actually in customer service. And so empowering those people, treating them like the generator of enthusiasm, loyalty, and money that they are is really critical. If you just think of, gee, I'm going to just staff my call center with, with idiots or with people that are really inexpensive, but they have a um, possibly a strange accent and don't understand my customers, those are very short-sighted decisions in my view. Yeah. The, you're, you're totally right. And what I want to add over here, Tim, is uh, uh, to, to share uh, uh, one of the best uh, experience that I had in, in this direction. One of the first uh, uh, customers that was courageous or uh, crazy enough to test out our solution, he, they, they had this B2B approach. They were selling uh, office uh, supplies and they, they decided to do RFM. They realized as you've said, actually, who are your niche customers? And they realized we have this 8% of our customers, they generate 50-something percent of our margin. So they <laughs> they wanted to treat them like kings, you know? And yeah, they, so the concierge service, I call it, white glove VIP service. Exactly, yeah. So they've got this system to get NPS, and exactly like you've said, they transform their customer service from a cost to a, to, to, to a profit center because they got this SLA in five minutes when you have a, a new order from a customer from that particular RFM segment, their soulmates, like they, they call them, they got out there and they, they pick up the phone and they call them, hey, Mr. whatever, and they've done this. And after that, they've applied the NPS and they've mixed quantitative data with the qualitative data. So mm -hmm. they collected NPS and if the NPS was low, the head of customer experience, the, the head of customer experience, they, they called. They, so they pick up the phone and they got the same thing. And now they have 92, their NPS, and they grew. They, so basically they've uh, almost doubled every year since, uh, since they made this type of approach because it wasn't uh, about their particular customers, but the fact that they've spread the word. So it's an amplification. Absolutely, because people are going to tell tell other people that are also in your cultural tribe and in that target group about their experience or even if they don't tell them if they publicly get behind you through a testimonial or something like that then it's just more social proof on top of it from people like like your your prospects 
And so it's it's a very powerful amplifier. It's it's a ripple effect that goes out from every customer service interaction. So again, your customer service people should not be doers. They're not like sales where they have to hit a quota. There's not there shouldn't be something like um, oh response time on the phone or conversation length should be shorter than two minutes or stupid stuff like that. Again, it's not cost avoidance. What you're really doing is profit avoidance by not giving the person the time that they need and giving them the honor of seeing them and and speaking to you and telling you what their concerns are. You should be like, great, fantastic. I'm getting customer feedback for free. Why, why would yeah. you want to cut a call short? Yeah, that's, that's right. And uh, I think this is an important aspect in the customer value optimization. We identify there are these three areas. It's, uh, it's about what you sell. So what products are you selling? It's about how you make your customers feel, which is customer experience. And it's uh, at the end of the day is what, what you say, how you, how you wrap your product in, into messaging. But no amount of marketing is going to fix a broken customer experience or mm -hmm. a broken uh, product, right? A, a suboptimal product. And these principles are most of the time are, are neglected because what they are tracking is like an average NPS. And picture this, you get your NPS, you say that you're frustrated and then nothing happens. It's like no, right. no response. Yeah. Nobody yeah. So, so um, the you know, one of the things that I've done in some you know other psychological work, and the, when someone brings up a problem in our in this men's group I used to be in, um, you're allowed to ask them clarifying questions uh, only if they're going to change what you're going to say. So there's no point collecting data, to put it into an e-commerce analogy, there's no point collecting data on your dashboard if there's you're not going to use that data to optimize your business. It's that simple. So what? You collect MPS and now you know what MPS is and you don't, but unless it's tied into some feedback for changing something and remeasuring it, there's no point collecting it even. So yeah. uh, unless data is actionable, you shouldn't collect it. Maybe that's a too strong a position, but I think I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I will stand with you by, by behind this as well. So uh, Tim, Tell us a bit about uh, your uh, your latest book, your and, and and your work. Absolutely. So, as, as again, as I mentioned, I wrote two editions along with my super smart uh, co-authors, Maura Ginty and Rich Page, of the landing page optimization book. And this was for uh, you know applied marketing. The landing page optimization is all about how to do conversion rate optimization better and includes psychological principles and all the practical mechanics of it. But what I realized is that underneath all of that was really persuasion. And I studied that when I was at University of California, San Diego. One of my undergraduate majors was cognitive science. My PhD work, which I never finished and quit after seven years, I'm a quitter, uh, was about artificial intelligence and neural networks and uh, uh pattern recognition. And, and so my latest book is kind of a return to that. Like I said, I wanted to focus on the things that were valuable beyond the technology and the practice in marketing. So Unleash Your Primal Brain, demystifying how we think and why we act, is really an operating system for all human beings. So it has lots of audiences. As a marketer or, or a business person, you can read it and you get a lot of value on it. In fact, Neuromarketing was probably responsible for three quarters of that $1.2 billion in value that our agency created. Uh, so these durable neuromarketing principles. But you can also use it for 
um, organizations and culture and tribalism and understanding how our social dynamics work. You can also use it for personal development with things like memory and learning and sleep uh, and things like that in there. So whatever blinders you want to put on, you'll, you'll get a lot of value out of it. It's a very condensed, very readable book. It's also available as an audio book that I narrated. Um, and it's, it's the operating system for human beings. I'm trying to demystify that and to make it accessible to more people. Fantastic. So uh, I, uh, I, I do remember when you, when you revealed your studio and uh, now I'm happy to, <laughs> to have it available on, uh, on Audible, I, uh, I presume, right? I will get that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can get it in any channel. In fact, there's also a simplified Chinese, Russian and uh, Brazilian editions in the works as well. So uh, yeah, wherever you get books, ebooks or audiobooks, you can find it. Uh, you, you can get more information at primalbrain.com about the book and I can even send you a free sample chapter of your choice. Perfection. So, Tim, regarding the uh, these neuromarketing uh, principles and uh, building uh, authentic and long-lasting relationships between companies and uh, uh, their customers, wh what kind of, uh, let's say, uh, methods? Do you do you want to share with us? Mm. Well, I, I want to give you some some strategies or things to focus on. So maybe yeah. not specific tactics. So one of them would be understand that people are much more threat focused than opportunity focused. Your ancestors, you're here because your ancestors survived. Your ancestors survived because they ran away from the bear or the lion. So if you understand that. In your marketing, what you're going to try to do in order to influence me, in order to keep me from going on the same road, you'll want to use pain and threats and pain avoidance as the motivation, not happy, happy talk. So it's really, really important that marketers don't only focus on the positive. You know, you're told don't sell features, sell benefits. Well, that's great, but that's all on the positive side. Instead, you should be saying, Wow, if you stay on your current path, your life is going to be an absolute hell and rub <laughs> salt into the wound and make it extra painful. And the, and the amount of that pain is how much I'm willing to pay to make it go away. So as they say in the gym and workouts, no pain, no gain. So as a marketer, you should be making sure that I understand the full implications of staying on my current path. Don't shy away from saying negative or painful things lean into those love it <laughs> and uh, it, it was that uh, that principle that uh, you you better you you accept uh you you can accept losing uh, you you can't accept losing 100 dollars than uh, uh having the, the chance to win 100 dollars so more people are 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 Pain avoidance, right? Yes, okay. there's about a two to two and a half uh, times bias in the negative direction, in the pain avoidance direction, rather than pleasure seeking. So if I say, hey, uh, Valentin, here's some ice cream, your favorite ice cream flavor, here's a bowl of it. But on the, as I give it to you, as you reach for the bowl, I'm going to hit you on the hand with a hammer. Just the one time, okay? Just the one time. What do you think? <laughs> like I know which one's going to motivate you more. The pain avoidance yeah. is going to motivate you, not your favorite ice cream. So uh, sure. use that. Uh, another thing that's really important, we've touched on it, is uh, storytelling. 
Again, it's very important if you're going to be an effective marketer to wrap your stuff instead of in tables and technical stuff. And here's our gold plan, silver plan, and bronze plan with check marks to wrap things in stories, stories whose moral you understand because you understand your target audience. If you have a very clear picture of your target audience and their values, then telling things in story form is very powerful. And I don't see a lot of uh, marketers doing this. But if you're a good marketer, then you should be focusing a lot on content marketing. But that's not making stupid memes to put on TikToks. It's about creating effective stories that support my values and incorporate uh, your products and your services and your own belief systems into those stories. Lo love it. I mean, and, uh, and I'm, uh, I, I keep on uh, realizing so the the importance of the uh, uh, of the stories and uh, having the being being like uh, i think uh, donald miller has this uh, being rather the yoda than being the 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 luke skywalker in the in the story so you as a company to be you you don't have to be the main character the customer is the main character so mm -hmm. you're the, the one which is supporting the main character to get from a to be in in their journey. Yes, exactly right. So within stories, you're you're zeroing in on something really important. There's a, a classical story form called the hero's journey, and this is everything from the Odyssey to Star Wars, which you've actually mentioned. But it goes something like this: the world was okay, something bad happened. I had to go on a quest to to um, deal with this. Along the way, I overcame hurdles. I had some unexpected allies that helped me. And at the end, there's a climax and you slay the dragon. And then there's a regreening of the earth and a return to some better state or with some kind of wisdom or gold, uh, internal gold, not financial gold that comes out of it. So it's very important to create stories in that human arc of the hero's journey of overcoming something and, and coming out on the other side after that struggle. Because we're wired evolutionarily for those kind of stories. We tell stories to avoid pain. So if someone else tells us, I went down that road and around the corner, there was a big bear and I had to fight it off, but I had a knife with me. So if you go down that road, bring a bigger knife with you. Okay. So that's valuable to us for survival. So any stories of other people and how they overcame their struggles we can identify with. Of course, they have to be in our in-group culturally and all that. So use the hero's journey as a very powerful story form. It can be very compact. It can be 30-second story. It can be a half-hour um, recording or, or something. It could be a downloadable story. But wrap things in stories and specifically into the hero's journey format. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I think this is... Uh this is so important and uh, I, I want to touch on something which is not related mostly with uh, e-commerce but mainly with uh, entrepreneurship or, uh, or or you becoming a better uh, a better professional the story that you tell to yourself i think it's 
crucially important. I, mm. I've only written my story. I've been a, a former butcher for two hours. Then I've been a DJ. Then I've been an optician. Then an optometrist. Then a sales trainer. Then I. So I've changed my in, inner story so many times until I became an entrepreneur. Then a local entrepreneur. Then a successful global entrepreneur. Then and then a teacher. And then I'm 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 going through that direction. And I think you owe it to yourself to realize what's your story what's your story and then what's the story of the products that you're selling of the company that you're building and for too many too many years i think we we we've been trapped into believing that we are first business uh, owners or entrepreneurs and then we 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 will earn our right to live a life but i think it's the opposite way we have to have a life plan and we have to have our own story and within that story we can be business owners or entrepreneurs and whatever. Well, I'll half agree with you. I'm not a big fan of plans anymore. I used to be really into planning and goals and I was going to be retired at 40 or then 45 and then 50 and I'm in my 50s. So it's, you know, <laughs> uh, but th that that's not the point is I, so I, I'm not a big fan of planning because I think th there's the broiling cauldron of chaos. That's the universe. And to try to plan your way through that as a tiny, what did you call it? Pixel inside of that. Good luck with that. So, but certainly our past stories, what we choose to carry with us, what anchors we bring. Why are you carrying the anchor still of the story of what happened to you in childhood or how you failed in college or whatever? Uh, so I think we change every day and every moment, actually. So it's important to revisit your personal story and what has meaning to you. And also to add to that, as an entrepreneur specifically, to lean into your problems and your failures and your faults. That's okay. That's part of what makes you you. So when people talk about authentic communication and your personal brand, that means letting some of the ugly out too. It, that's yeah. that's what that means. Is like I have the courage to expose myself and be and to be honest and to be vulnerable and to talk about things I've struggled with. So the your mess is the message. That, that's going to attract some kind of uh, tribe to you that res that resonate that that resonates with them. I love it, and uh, I want to make uh, you vulnerable, and then you can make me vulnerable as uh, as well. Tell us about the moment when you 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 change your path and how you got to 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 dramatically improve yourself due to a failure. Uh, well, that's happened hundreds of times in my life, so now I just have to narrow it down to one. Um, well, I think one of them was the related to the entrepreneurial journey. I, I, I sort of assumed that um, I have my dream, I have my vision, I'm going to build my business, take on the world, um, and I just got on that entrepreneurial treadmill and was on it for 25 years, and I was operating in... What uh, in the archetype world is called warrior mentality, just mission focused and discipline and work hard. And that would cost me, you know, the relationship with, with my wife, closeness with my children, uh, anger management problems. And I just woke up one day and said, you know, I, this is not how I want to show up in the world. And uh, that was a very painful, painful day to wake up. It wasn't one day. It was a, it was a process. But uh, so for the last three years, I've intentionally stepped back into my family. I'm seeing the healing effect of that. Of course, there's three other people and three other cats uh, is part of that system. You know, <laughs> but 
So I can't control it by any means or plan it, but uh, I hope that my part of it is is improving the situation and I can see that happening. But it, it took a concrete focus to do that. It actually meant me stepping off of the entrepreneurial at least to building a business path, I, I sold my business to business partners, and it's thriving. They're much better suited for growing it. Uh, Marty Greif, who runs Site Tuners now, has tripled it in the year, three years since since he's taken over uh, full running of it. So it's fantastic. Right person for the right thing that gives you meaning. Uh, it wasn't building an empire was not what I should have been doing. That was just an idea in my head. And because yeah. I was good at a lot of things and I worked hard, um, I could sort of do it for a long time. But when I woke up to the price of that, that's that was one of my big changes. Yeah, I I can totally relate uh, to 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 this uh, this journey. I, I had my share of uh, aha moments uh, due to that, and I think that we are sharing the same uh, or pretty much the the same. Uh, uh, blessing and uh, curse as well to be uh, very creative and uh, opening up a lot of uh, uh, avenues towards towards growth which means that uh, we are we are too preoccupied to dream and to understand how to sort out other solutions rather than focusing and drilling down into uh, one 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 single single yeah. thing oh, well there are some differences uh you're younger, smarter, better looking, and have nicer hair than I do. So you know, <laughs> yeah, and and uh, yeah, I I don't want to argue with the uh, with that, but uh, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm uh, way way uh, behind you in uh, in this type of realization because I uh, I think you have the wisdom of uh, of going through this type of phases where I'm 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 still in the, that treadmill you know to build that company to do that to to do the other even though within myself I do know that uh, it's about teaching and uh, spreading the word and sharing shortcuts with the world eventually yeah well I think that uh, life has two phases basically you figure out how it works and you build up your ego structure to function in a in a way that you think is going to get you what you want and then the second part of life or whatever whenever you wake up to it is undoing all of that uh, and then <laughs> dropping from doing into being and then 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 your values shift very very significantly in midlife i think so i i i feel like i got there pretty late so um but there's no time like the present if you feel that pain inside of you maybe look inward yeah that's uh, that that's right team time uh, went uh, by so so quickly and uh, i feel like uh, we should be building a series out of this rather than a, a single uh, uh episode uh it's been fantastic and thanks a lot for for being today with us and uh, sharing your wisdom and uh, making us more uh, complete and more aware about uh, who we are uh if uh, someone wants to get a hold of you where where they can find you uh, it's pretty simple if it's about the public speaking or my executive marketing advisory where i'm unlimited on call for senior um, executives at, at, in digital marketing companies, just go to timash.com. If it's about my book or some of the the evolutionary psychology speaking topics that I do, the best source for that is primalbrain.com. Yeah, and also I think uh, we we need to share this. You have a, you have a course that uh, can be can, can be taken on yeah yeah on linkedin yeah so I, on linkedin learning if you're if you have a linkedin subscription check out my neuromarketing course 
Perfect. Just look me up by name, Tim Ash, on LinkedIn, and you'll find my neuromarketing course. Tim, it's been a joy. Thanks a lot for being today with us. And uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to, to uh, having you again in, uh, uh, in the future in our CVO Live series. And uh, yeah, all the best from Bucharest. And uh, thanks everyone for being today with us. It's been my honor, my friend.